It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. And welcome to another trip under the hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. Needless to say, we're in the off season, but there's been a lot going on with the Fuel here in the last week. During the week, the Fuel announced they plan to introduce their next head coach sometime in early June. And so the search is ongoing. A lot of really high-quality applicants and the ownership, uh, Jim Hallett and Larry McQuarrie and the front office looking to make sure they get the right hire, the right person in place as the league year sets to begin in June. So we're not too far away from the Fuel naming their next head coach. Also, a couple of Fuel players from last season, Dmitry Osipov and Josh McArdle, both signed American Hockey League contracts with the Rockford Icehogs, giving the Fuel now five players who played on the Indy roster this past season AHL contracts for the 2019-20 season. Earlier, Matt Tompkins had agreed to an extension with the Icehogs. Goaltender Chase Marchant and forward Matthew Thompson also had signed American Hockey League contracts with Rockford. So they will be remaining in the organization. And in the case of both Matthew Thompson and Dmitry Osipov, those are guys who played the full season for the Fuel and earned their way to an American Hockey League contract after playing this year on an ECHL deal. Osipov will be in his third year as a pro, and one thing uh, former Fuel head coach Bernie John used to say about Osipov is the guy plays beyond his years. It's hard to believe he's only 22 years old back there because he plays like such a veteran player. And late in the season, he earned a professional tryout offer with Rockford, played eight games for them, had a pair of assists. That was his second tour of duty in the American Hockey League. He also played for the Chicago Wolves a year ago. 6'4", 230-pound defenseman, and he has signed with Rockford. And certainly, as we uh, talked to Mark Bernard last week, all these guys who sign AHL deals, they're going to be given every opportunity to uh, make the team and be a part of the Ice Hogs going forward. And that's exactly how this organization is designed, for players to play in Indy, to show their stuff, to earn their way to play at the next level. And Dmitry Osipov has done that. Josh McArdle as well had six points and was a plus five in 33 games for the Fuel this year. Also skated in 19 games with Rockford. He played the year on an American Hockey League deal as a rookie out of Brown University. One thing about McArdle, he is the first player from Rockford's youth hockey program, grew up in the Rockford area in Roscoe, Illinois, and grew up in the Junior Ice Hogs program to play for the Ice Hogs. And it was really special for him and his family to be able to play in Rockford. And he has signed on for another year with the Ice Hogs and the organization, which includes the Indy Fuel and, of course, the parent Chicago Blackhawks. And so really excited for those guys. Now, five players, as we mentioned, that played for the Fuel this year. Matthew Thompson, Matt Tompkins, Chase Marshawn, Dmitry Osipov, Josh McArdle, who have signed American Hockey League contracts for the next year. And that partnership that we talked to Mark Bernard about that's going to be continuing through 2022 continues to be really fruitful for all three levels of the organization. Also last week, the Fuel announced their 2019-20 home schedule. A few changes. First of all, the Saturday night games will be played at 6.05 p.m., tentatively scheduled for 6.05. The Friday night game still at 7.35 
all the other weeknights at 7.05, and of course, the Sunday games at 3.05 p.m. It's a schedule that, again, features a lot of divisional play. The Cincinnati Cyclones will be the home opener on October 25th, and then the next night as well on October 26th. Then the Fuel will be on the road for a week, come back to face Toledo, Cincinnati on a Friday, Saturday, the 8th and 9th of November, and then Kansas City the following Wednesday. And then the Fuel will only have one more November home game on November 22nd against the Wheeling Nailers. It's very heavy in terms of games, especially in January, February. Before Christmas, the Fuel will play just 11 home games, and then from there on out, they will have 25 of their 36 home games to be played. And that's really when the attendance really ramps up. And we saw that this year after Christmas, the fuels average attendance went up by more than a thousand fans a game. And so it's a really solid schedule, really well balanced six home games in December, eight in January, seven in February, seven in March as well. And so a lot of road games early and we'll see the full ECHL schedule released here in a bit. Not a whole lot of home games, but a lot here at the back end of the season. Again, very heavy on divisional play. The Fuel will face the Cincinnati Cyclones eight times, including in the home opener. They'll face Toledo six times, Fort Wayne and Wheeling five times each, including the final two home games on April 3rd and 4th, Kalamazoo four times. We'll also see Kansas City and Wichita twice, Rapid City, Atlanta, Florida, and Greenville coming to Indy. It's the first time we will have seen Greenville ever First time to see Atlanta in three seasons. The first time to see Florida since the inaugural year of 2014-15. So a few different opponents coming to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum this year. And as we said, a very balanced schedule and a lot of opportunities to see the fuel. And as far as days of the week, there will be 10 weekday games, including the Education Day game on February 18th against Fort Wayne. Six of those 10 will be Thursday night contests, 12 on Friday nights, 11 on Saturdays, and then three Sunday afternoon games, one in February and two in March. So it's going to be a good schedule. Looking forward to it. Now it's time to see how this team will get put together, what it will look like under the direction of the next head coach of the Fuel, who we expect to be named in early June. And of course, it's the month of May in Indy, and we often turn our attention to West 16th Street and Georgetown Road and see what's happening at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This past weekend, the IndyCar Grand Prix was held at IMS, the IndyCar race on the road course to kick off the month of May. And the guy to kick it off was Corey Crawford, the Chicago Blackhawks goaltender. Corey had a chance to meet with the media before getting into the pace car, and we had an opportunity to chat with him. Here are Corey Crawford's comments on driving the pace car at IMS. It's really cool. Uh, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I, I've never done this sort of thing, so uh, to be able to, to drive the pace car and, and just kind of go through the, the steps and, and do the training last night with uh, with Sarah Fisher and get some feedback from her and some some teaching uh that was really cool uh to actually go around the track uh i've never done that before i've done quarter mile uh quarter mile stuff my not a road course not never a road course uh quarter mile with my personal cars but um never a road course so 
it was cool to, to actually learn how to drive yeah. a little bit, right? Learn how to take turns, and uh, so that was really cool. Meet a bunch of people from the, from the track. I uh, got a tour uh, some of the old cars, and um, I mean, really, this whole thing has been has been crazy. Like, like uh, I, I would say, someone that really likes cars and, and enjoys racing watches it. Uh, I, you know, I'm not really a diehard fan, but I've been to a, I've been to a bunch of F1 races, and I watch on TV. Uh, I've obviously watched IndyCar, Canadian Grand Prix. I've, uh, yeah, Canadian Grand Prix, and I've watched IndyCar throughout the years since I was younger. Uh, they're always in always Toronto. Always good Canadians in yeah, uh, IndyCar. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Toronto. There's a few Toronto guys, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Toronto, uh, Toronto boys. So, I mean, uh, I, I just love it. I just like uh, I just like uh, you know I like to watch it. And just doing this and being around it and get a different view. Of it is, is that's a whole nother level. And you're a car, you go back to your your cars, you're a car yeah. enthusiast. You, you yeah. know, restore cars, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't say restore cars, but uh, I, we, I, uh, I worked on one with one of my one of my friends from Chicago, uh, Jimmy Bilars. He owns Northtown Automotive uh, in Chicago. Uh, it's been there for for a long time, and uh, you know he gets some old cars sometimes in his shop and. Uh, we just decided to uh, to do a 70 Chevelle and, and restore it for charity. So uh, that ended up selling for just over 200,000, I think, uh, which went to Blackhawks Foundation. Uh, awesome. So that yeah, that divvies out to a bunch of charities around Chicago. So that was that was like a cool passion of being able to learn and build a car and uh, and learn with Jimmy and, and then also give back to, to a community that's, uh, you know, given me a lot uh, over the years. And thanks to my friend and colleague, Bert Beiswanger, for providing the interview with Corey Crawford and the chat about driving the pace car at the IndyCar Grand Prix. Of course, the Indy 500 coming up in a couple of weeks and the anthem singer from the Chicago Blackhawks, Jim Cornelison, who has performed at a number of Indy Fuel games over the years, including annually on Blackhawks Night, will be singing back home again in Indiana once again. And now it's time to introduce you to our guest on this week's edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. During the off-season, we're going to take the opportunity to introduce you to people within the Fuel, but also people who are either part of or have been part of the scene here in hockey in Indianapolis and catch up with some familiar faces from the past, as well as some people who are doing some great things in the hockey world now who have connections to the Circle City as the game continues to grow here in Indiana and throughout North America. Our guest this week, Cale played for the Indianapolis Ice in the 1998-99 season, their final year in the International Hockey League, and was a key part of a team that won a playoff round for the first time in nine years. They were a team that really wasn't supposed to make the playoffs. They had to win their last five games just to get in, and then when they did so, they ended up upending a heavily favored Cincinnati Cyclones team in the first round and then took an absolutely loaded Detroit Vipers team to the wire before losing an overtime game and a game on a goal with six seconds left at the Coliseum in games three and four of that series to drop that series three games to one. But it was a really tight-knit team, a really fun team that in a lot of ways overcame a lot of odds led by Bruce Cassidy, who is now the head coach of the Boston Bruins and had been a member of the ICE's 1990 Turner Cup championship team. As we mentioned, Cale, one of six coaches 
in the AHL or NHL who have either played or coached in Indianapolis. In the NHL, Bruce Cassidy, the aforementioned uh, former coach and player for the Indianapolis Ice, now coaching the Boston Bruins, as well as Peter Laviolette, the Nashville Predators coach, former Stanley Cup champion who played a season for the Indianapolis Checkers, and also Jeff Blashill, who coached the Indiana Ice from 2008 to 2010 and won a championship in the AHL. It's Keel McLean, who played for the Indianapolis Ice. Mike Vellucci, who also played for the Ice in the International Hockey League. And Roy Sommer, who is the head coach of the San Jose Barracuda, the longest-tenured coach in AHL history, as he has been with that organization for a long, long time. He also played for the Checkers. So one of six coaches in the NHL or AHL or ECHL who have played in Indianapolis or coached in Indianapolis. And Kale has a really interesting perspective. He played in the ECHL in Jacksonville first and then came up here to Indy with Bruce Cassidy, who had coached him in Jacksonville. And then later they reunited in Trenton the next year. And then he also played for him in Grand Rapids in the American Hockey League. And then at the end of his playing career, he played for and then later coached with Jared Bednar, who is now the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche of the National Hockey League, who, of course, took the San Jose Sharks to Game 7 in the second round of the NHL playoffs. He has a really good perspective on playing in the ECHL, coaching in the ECHL. He got the call up from the... Calgary Flames ECHL affiliate, the Adirondack Thunder, to coach the Stockton Heat in the American Hockey League because Ryan Huska got the promotion from Stockton to Calgary. And of course, Ryan had been the captain of the Indianapolis Ice in the years prior to Kale coming to Indy. So lots of connections here to the Circle City. When we recorded this, it was after game four of the Bruins Blue Jackets, as well as the Avalanche Sharks second round series. And you'll hear him reference that and seeing his friends and guys he played for and later coached with in the case of Jared Bednar coaching in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so understand those references, but it's a really good conversation with the former player for the Indianapolis Ice. And as we mentioned, one of six people to coach in affiliated pro hockey who have ties to Indianapolis. And we'll have more conversations like this throughout the summer, as well as with current and former Fuel players, Fuel coaches, and front office personnel. Enjoy our conversation with Cale McLean, the head coach of the Stockton Heat. First of all, just tell us how your first year as an American Hockey League head coach has gone in Stockton and what uh, that transition has been like for you. Well, I, I think that it was a positive year, uh, negative in the idea that we didn't get uh, any playoff experience for our guys. That's something that you always want every year. And when we're here in Stockton, the big focus is on development. We really are pushed by Calgary to make sure that while we want to create the winning atmosphere and we want to develop within that atmosphere, the progress of our young prospects is what's the sort of paramount um, job for us. So I thought that we did a pretty good job in terms of seeing some guys grow through the year and uh, roll from you know, maybe more fringe uh, activities to more prominent roles as the year went on. So we like that about what happened this year. 
But as I mentioned, anytime that you can get into the playoffs, you're going to give them that added experience of big game uh, playing. And so that's an area where we need to get better next year. Well, you but meant- the, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was say you mentioned that, but in a lot of cases, even that fight to try to get into playoff position late in the season almost can feel like playoff games for those players, and they could get some of that big game type atmosphere. I agree, and uh, for us, it was a fairly prolonged fight. Um, you know, we we hovered around five hundred and finished right on five hundred, uh, and so for the months of February and March, we're you know, there is some stress involved in knowing that, hey, we don't have a lot of room to give up. we got to make sure we keep pace. And that's the time of the season when teams are really, you know, fighting for every point. And so I think we did get some good repetition in there for sure. Now just talk a little bit about uh, some of the prospects you've had the opportunity to develop and the relationship you have with the parent Calgary Flames in terms of player development. Well, we've uh, I've joined this group uh, in terms of uh, working for Calgary previously, but coming into Stockton as an assistant coach last season under Ryan Huska, who's the head coach, who is now an assistant coach with the Calgary Flames. So I was fortunate enough to join last year and uh, run the defense and run the penalty kill and work with some pretty high level prospects in the form of. Uh, Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Shillington are two that really stick out as guys that I worked with last year, whom right away you could see they're pretty high level players. And, um, you know, a lot of credit to Ryan Huska, who had them the year previously and was there with us last year as the head coach and now was up with them this year where they spent most of the time in the NHL. So it was an exciting year for all of us to see. Um, Rasmus came down to our team at the beginning of the season but didn't even play one regular season game before he was called up and he went on to play I think 79 of the uh of the games at the uh NHL level he he was a you know really good force in terms of a young man just growing into his game and uh Oliver Shillington came to us and joined us for about 16 games at the beginning of the year and played a really prominent role and uh, then graduated up to the NHL level. And so we, you know, really take a lot of pride in seeing those guys move up, uh, being able to work with them while they're here. So those are two big ones. Andrew Mangiapane is another one that spent time with us last year, most of the year, and then was here with us for a bit this year. So um, a lot of guys up and down and um, even guys that started up like Yusuf Alamaki, another great young defenseman, came to us about Christmas time and then stayed with us for a long portion of the second half just to recover from injury and get his minutes up uh, as a young 20-year-old D-man. So Calgary, especially on the D side, has got some some exciting young prospects coming through. And how much pride do you take in the season the NHL team had, knowing that you were a part of helping develop some of these players? And obviously they had a great regular season, Pacific Division champions and Really, it looks like the future is bright in Calgary. I agree. Yeah, a lot of pride in that. I think our whole coaching staff and our um, our whole support staff looks at that, you know, really as a feather in our cap to have guys that were down with us, uh, whether it was this year or spent previous years with us, 
the guys that were here before me or have been here for longer, you know, they've seen guys like Mark Jankowski and Garnet Hathaway and David Riddick and, um, you know, a good crowd of guys in addition to the ones that went up this year that helped Calgary become, you know, the best team in the West in the regular season. So that, that is something that we're all really proud of and certainly uh, something that we want to continue to build on next year, see if we can help them stay on top of the pile and see if we can help them gain some more playoff success next year. Well, you've had a couple of players this season that we're a little bit familiar with in Indy. John Gillies and Renat Valley have both played their junior hockey here in Indy. Just talk about those two guys and the years they have had. Yeah, it's uh, John Gillies is someone who's now uh, ending his, I think, third year. Uh, I was with him last year and again this year or fourth year, I should say. But um, John is a he's a high level goaltender, as I'm sure people in the area saw when he was there, um, he's a big man at six, six, he's athletic, but at the same time, he does a good job of, you know, sort of making sure he cuts angles down and he reads the play well. And so he's got some good combinations. I think that, uh, he's certainly a, a very talented player and everybody looks upon John as a guy that or has the ability to really break out here and, uh, push his way up to the next level. I think that, um, this year for John was more of a struggle than the past years have been. Had a rougher start, and I think the team in front of him had a rougher start than he had anticipated too. And so once we turned the ship, um, got the ship righted a little bit, I thought John and the team both played well together and um, got back to his usual form. So certainly an exciting prospect. Uh, someone who's really competitive, someone who's got a lot of those tools that can make you an NHL goaltender, and it'll be exciting to see where you can take those uh, heading into next year. And uh, talk a little bit about the fact that you've moved up uh, throughout the organization. You were the head coach in Adirondack in the ECHL, moved to Stockton as an assistant to Ryan Huska, another player we're uh, familiar with, was the captain of the Indianapolis Ice for a couple of years. And That's now right. that now the head coach in the American Hockey League, what has that path been like for you? Oh, it's you know it, it's a good question because it certainly is uh, it, you know it's a fairly typical path. It's not not a ton of guys come out of the ECHL uh, and become head coaches at the AHL level, but it's happening more and more. And um, certainly, there's there's a lot of guys that have come out and do it in a similar fashion that I do put in some time as an assistant coach and then move into a head coaching position. Um, and it is certainly uh, a situation where I'm grateful to the flames organization to a hire me uh, for the Adirondack position uh, years ago, and then to be able to progress through that and to have their faith in me that sort of moved me along and up the ladder here has been pretty exciting, but it's, I would say the the biggest adjustment has come from the, jump from the assistant position at this level to the head position. And, um, you know, you see the players in a, in a different light and your responsibilities are that much greater in terms of managing the group. And I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting comparison between the ECHL and the AHL because there are, there are different types of players. There are more personalities, more numbers, just sheer numbers to deal with at the AHL level bigger staff, more players, uh, more support staff. Um, 
And I think also the mentality is different as you get up a little bit. It's, it gets a little more competitive. It gets closer to what the NHL is in terms of its high, high level of competitive nature. And um, certainly, you know, a lot of demanding uh, personalities at these levels. So it's an exciting difference uh, and something that is interesting to look at as you sort of uh, make your way through the ranks from the ECHL into the AHL. And you're part of the fairly new West Coast movement in the AHL where you're in a division of fairly new markets in the league. How important has that been in terms of allowing for a little bit easier travel as well as the ability to be closer to your National Hockey League affiliate to allow players to be moved up and down as you need to organizationally? Yeah, I think that this is uh, it's a really interesting concept, and I think it's worked out very well for the teams that have come out here to California. the The idea was, hey, let's let's make sure these teams play sixty eight games. So we're gonna we're gonna take eight games off the docket for them, and with the thought being, let's get them more practice time, let's get them more time to develop, and usually that's via one-on-one time with coaches. It's via, you know, practice and both before and after practice. It just sort of takes away the three on uh, three and threes that, as you know very well, Andrew, in the ECHL level and the uh, AHL level out east, they can be really grinding and they can, they can uh, certainly wear teams and players down. So it's a little different look over here with no three and three sets for us. And um, I think that the travel, we're still in our situation, we're still a little ways from Calgary. So it takes a little bit to get up and down when you're um, transacting players back and forth. But I think that overall, it's a really good setup. We have ourselves in Stockton here. We've got Bakersfield three and a half hours down the road. On any given weekend, we might have a, maybe a flight down to San Diego and play them and then drive the two hours up to Ontario and play them the following night. So we're, we're usually pretty centrally located here in California. And uh, certainly I think that it benefits these teams uh, by just the, the idea of, you know, making sure that you're taking care of the players, not wearing them down too much and giving them more time for the teaching that is so necessary at this level. Well, as a player, you played uh, part of a season here in Indianapolis in the international hockey league and describe what that opportunity was like for you as a player to uh, show what you could do at that level and uh, how that maybe helped provide a foundation for your playing and your coaching career? Well, I, I have uh, Bruce Cassidy to thank for it. I think that uh, that was a big reason why I managed to make my way up there. I, I played for Butch in Jacksonville the year prior, and then he was promoted up to Indianapolis. And I remember going to camp there and I didn't make it uh, out of the gates in camp and went back down to Jacksonville. But getting a call in January is pretty excited about that to return. And uh, it was a big moment for me because it was, I'd been, had a few cups of coffee in the AHL up to that point in the IHL and um, to be able to get in and grab a little bit of traction, I think had a lot to do with playing uh, in front of a coach that understood who I was as a player and, and had a little bit of patience for what I could do on the ice. And I think it did click off the bat. But at the same time, you know, that familiarity is such a big factor for all my it was for myself and all these young players coming up. 
that that trust being there i think goes a long way so it was really enjoyable i can remember lots of um moments where i was very excited at just being able to get to the level and have some success being able to bump shoulders with uh guys the one guy that sticks out a lot is brian noonan when he was there with us um dale de gray was up there we had guys i'd played junior with and mark lamar there were guys that i played in jacksonville with and uh Mike Hall and and a friend I'm still close to to this day in Mike Hall and Vince Williams and and Bruce himself so it was uh it was a great time I really enjoyed it I thought that our we were able to turn the season around well and find some playoff success and it was exciting for the fans and so certainly uh love to think of those days and I I think you're right Andrew it gave me a good stepping stone finding some success during that 40 game stretch really gave me a good stepping stone to uh be able to parlay it into some more success albeit a little further down the road for me but eventually it came back what may be a couple of memories that you take from that that you uh, still remember and cherish um I remember I remember a good road trip that we had out West because the one thing about the IHL, it was really exciting in terms of there are some fun places to go. And, and for a young, a young guy coming out of Nova Scotia, I played my junior in Ontario. So I've been to a few places, but you know, the, the idea that I was now in Indianapolis and here we're headed on a road trip that was going to take us through uh, Las Vegas and was going to take us to Salt Lake city and, Houston and places like this was something that that was the big leagues for me and I was really I can remember that one of those trips when we uh headed out on that and I I remember before we left we were in dire straits a little bit we had lost I think six in a row and and I knew Butch was a very he's a good communicator and he was really clear and there wasn't any doubt that if we didn't keep winning the uh auxiliary guys are the first to go and uh, being a call-up guy, I knew that that meant me. And uh, we went on that trip and ended up having a really good good run on it. We went into uh, Las Vegas, sneaked out a win. Next night, went to Elevation in Salt Lake City. We were all exhausted, and we snuck out another one. And it, it got us going on a run that pushed us into the playoffs. So that was a real big memory for me. I remember uh, uh, having a lot of fun on that, just the winning together as a team. Yeah, the one thing probably that stands out to me about that season was how hot Mark Lamoth got in the playoffs. And when you've got mm-hmm. a goaltender playing like he was playing against the caliber of competition that you were playing against, how much confidence does that give you as a player knowing that uh, the guy behind you is pretty much a wall? Yeah, it, it's it's so big. Someone said it really well the other day on, uh, on the NHL playoffs um, that – you're able to be on your toes leaning toward the other net because you're not worried about making sure, well, I got to cover up. I got to make sure I'm there. I got to help them out. Uh, And it's not like you're thinking of that in a negative way. You're just saying like my team in the back of your head, your teammate might, you might not have the trust that you usually do when you get a guy playing like the way Mark Lamont did that year, you, you feel like you, you don't, that trust is there. And so you're pushing forward on your toes and you're looking to make things happen and you're looking to pressure the other team because the thought of, Hey, what happens if, if that the odd bounce, you know, occurs and something breaks down? Well, you know, we got a guy that's going to be able to shut the door for us. And so I think it really does help your team lean forward 
and uh, and play well. And it's funny how how much of a cycle that is because then if they're leaning forward and your goaltender's he's actually not seeing as much and he's feeling really confident about what he's getting. So it's such a they both feed on themselves. What kind of coach was Bruce Cassidy like to play for? I know you played for him a couple of years in the ECHL as well as obviously here in Indy in the IHL. I, uh, he was great. I really, really enjoyed playing for him. He he respected hard work, and I think that's that's the quality that I brought to the uh, to that scene. Was I wasn't overly talented. I worked hard and uh, made lots of mistakes, and Butch would let me know on those too. But I think that he respected the fact that I worked hard every shift, and um, he was he's a smart man. He's a smart hockey man. He's an intelligent person. He's really quick on his feet. Um, like something, a fun thing about playing for him back then. And, and everybody is different as you work your way through the ranks. So I'm sure it's not the same now. But as a first, second year head coach, when you're playing for Bruce, he was, he was really witty and he was quick. And so if you made a mistake, he let you know. And he would let you know in a manner where you wouldn't forget it. You know, he was pretty sharp that way with his words and but in a way that you knew what he was talking about and you could chuckle about it later because he definitely uh would say in a way you wouldn't forget it so i liked it because i thought that uh um he was he was honest and he was consistent and uh he was a guy that you know he was he took some interest in us and he he would interact and um certainly was a guy that you really respected playing for so a lot of big fan of him. And I did play for him in a lot of places. I played for him in Jacksonville and Indianapolis. And then the following year, we were in Trenton together. And then the year after, I was called up to Grand Rapids where he was. So we certainly uh, hit a few spots together and all, mostly credit to him. I say the success that he has had, could you see that, for lack of a better term, that the the it factor that would allow him to uh, later on have the success he's had in the National Hockey League. Well, I, when I was when I was in it, I couldn't pinpoint it, but I can tell you, I felt like there was something there because you take the uh, uh, the Jacksonville situation. We didn't make the playoffs that year. That was basically his first year coaching, and um, then fast forward to the next year, Indianapolis sneak your way into the playoffs, but then all of a sudden go on a, on a run in the playoffs, then go to Trenton the year after we're an expansion team. We're a pretty good team, but uh, like we make our way into the playoffs, not, not easily, but then we, you know, we went, I think three rounds. And so it, it sort of, it occurred to me as we were doing this, we're like, this guy, you know, he has that sort of, he promotes that belief in a team, if that makes sense. He sort of creates a situation where a team really believes in itself. And if you look at his uh, record over the course of time, like he makes deep playoff runs quite frequently. So I, I am a big believer in what Bruce Cassidy does as a coach. I think that I don't know if this is their year in Boston. It's certainly a good game last night. And I could see it though. I, I just, I've been on that bench in a couple of different scenarios with, Bruce and he seems to, he seems to give you the uh, the feeling of a little bit of a feeling of invincibility that is that secret sort of ingredient I think 
And the same with Jared Bednar, who you played for in South Carolina, now the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, who are also having a pretty good run in the playoffs. It's, I was going to bring Jared's name up as we were talking because same thing. It's the same thing. You, you get, I've played with him, coached with him, or sorry, played against him, but then played for him and was an assistant coach with him. And same idea where he, he has a calmness about him and a demeanor that, that, uh, lets you know he's in charge and he's got real good handle on it. If you, if that makes sense. Both of those guys give you the feel that they have a real good handle on things and that you're going in the right direction. And when you can do that for your team, then I think that your team can settle in and they believe that things are going to work in in their favor if they stick to the plan. And again, Jared has a lot of long playoff runs to his name as a head coach. And I think there's he's got that that special thing as well. You had the opportunity to uh, take over as the head coach of the South Carolina Stingrays. What was it that took you? And I remember just Bruce Cassidy uh, several years ago said, I grew up wanting to be Bobby Orr, not Toe Blake, but ended up uh, <laughs> becoming a, a pretty successful coach. What was it that helped you transition from that playing career on the ice where you'd been very successful at uh, the minor pro level to uh, being behind the bench? Uh, I think the, you know, I made a decision that sort of was fateful, I think, in going to South Carolina from uh, a situation where I was on a a two-way contract with Hershey and Redding. And I turned into a uh, veteran that year, an exempt veteran that year. And so at the end of the year, I did the math and the math wasn't too hard to figure out that the way the league was going and my status now it was going to be difficult to get a uh, full-time job in the AHL as a exempt veteran. So then I thought about, okay, you know, can I, can I move to a situation that is going to, I wasn't really thinking of coaching, but can I move to a good, strong organization and uh, be a leader in that situation and, you know, see if I can sort of grow something from there. And that's where South Carolina came in. And that's where Jason Fitzsimmons and Jared Bednar, I think they deserve a lot of credit for giving me the opportunity to lead and then coach following that. And I think it was just the, once I was in that leadership position and I could see the, um, that I was in sort of the twilight of my playing career, then it it started to become more real and I started to pay more attention and started to uh, sort of you know, think about, okay, maybe, maybe the next step in this process can be uh, coaching because what I really like about all these team sports is that it's the camaraderie and it's the helping each other. That's something I'm sort of built around. And so I think that uh, it was a natural progression to see if I can't help lead in a different way than as a captain on the ice. How would you describe your coaching style and who have been some of your biggest influences as a coach? Well, I, my coaching style, I try to be, I try to be, um, humanistic, I would say is the way, the way I try to run things. I try to make sure that I, I do things with a lot of respect. Um, I obviously want to play the game certain ways, but I feel a lot of it has to do with the relationships that you form and the motivation that you can instill by helping players sort of understand that it comes from within them 
And when you do that, when you treat them with respect, but you're demanding on them at the same time, I think that you can create that internal motivation that's going to push them further than the, you know, the carrot and the stick idea. But obviously that's necessary at times. So certainly I, I love the personal interaction of it. I love working with people to try to make them better. I like the one-on-one aspects of it. And it is also something that I'm really growing at. I'm really trying to improve. And as I made it to this level in the AHL, I've got to learn new new ways to do things, better ways to interact, better ways to make sure I set my standard. And uh, certainly it's a challenge every day. And But that's part of the fun. Who are some of your biggest influences as a coach? I would say um, Jared Bednar and Bruce Cassidy are right up there because I played for and worked uh, for Bednar. But then also Bruce, I was in a lot of different places with him. So I saw him in a lot of a lot of different lights. Um, They're up there. Another one that I've worked with who's come through India is Troy Ward. Um, And he was someone that I left South Carolina to move up as an assistant in the AHL in Abbotsford. And Troy Ward was the head coach there. And so um, as my first uh, two years as an assistant at the AHL level, working with Troy was something that was really good for me. He was a really good teacher, very demanding coach, and really of both players and staff. And it just it really helped me and made me made me um, understand what it takes to be successful at the pro level and uh, certainly someone that I really appreciate giving me that opportunity back then. As an American Hockey League head coach who has a lot of experience playing and coaching in the ECHL, what is the importance of the ECHL and the ECHL affiliate in player development and just helping further that ladder between the three levels? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the big thing is that it's it's becoming important as that that cog in the machine of like making sure there's there's got to be more than just the AHL level for young players to come in and, and start to develop. And, and I think that to say that every player is going to either play in the NHL or the AHL is a little short-sighted and sure it's goaltenders right now, I think are the biggest benefactors of the CHL and they're, you know, having the ability to develop at that level, but there's other players here. There's there's guys on our team this year. Ryan Lomberg was with us in um, Adirondack, and he was just a free agent signing. And he played. Uh, the Flames saw him as a player who has some potential in terms of speed and and passion. And they signed him, and he ended up with us in Adirondack and had a pretty good year. And next thing you know, he's at the AHL level last year, and, and suddenly he's signing a contract. And now – all of a sudden he's really, he's played in the NHL and he's thought of as someone that can be an NHL player here soon. If everything goes the right way. And if he continues on the right path and he, that ECHL year was instrumental for him. If not, maybe he sort of stagnates and and doesn't play much and sort of hangs around, bumps around at the AHL level as a healthy scratch for too long and maybe loses either some of his passion or maybe he loses some of his confidence. Instead, he goes down and he plays in a situation where he's really confident and he's engaged and he's playing all the time and he's working on things and 
he's being a, a go-to player. And, you know, here we are a couple of years later and he's knocking on the door at the NHL level. You mentioned your time in Indy, Brian Noonan, Dale DeGray, guys that could be mentors for you as a young hockey player learning the ropes in the pros. How important is it as a coach to have veteran players to help mentor your young guys and your prospects who are trying to get to the next level? I, I, it could be one of the most important things, I think. I really, I really believe that having those players um, – is crucial because you're the coach's voice will only go so far. And the, some people will say the meeting after the meeting, meaning, you know, when a coach comes in and speaks and then leaves the room, it's what's said next. That's most important. You know, if, if the next thing is an eye roll, then you're in trouble. If uh, the next thing is um, a leader stepping up and saying, he doesn't always have to say he agrees, but if he's buying into the whole, the team program and helping to institute what the coaching staff is trying to uh, teach or create buy-in for, then it's huge. And I think that that happens in the dressing room. It happens in the gym. It happens, you know, at lunch or in the evening over a couple of pops. The bottom line is the, these guys that have been there before, they're so influential on young players. And when they do things right and they're there as a, as a visual example of how to prepare, even though they've already passed the apex of their career, it's just something that young guys can't ignore. They can't ignore if you, if you have guys doing that. And one thing that I really liked about uh, Brian Noonan, he was like, I looked at him, uh, we weren't even that close, but back then I just looked at him as a bit of a hero because he had, he had done so much in his career and he was so humble at the same time. That's why I was just fascinated with him. He was so at ease with who he was, never tried to impress anyone or anything. He just went about his business and he, he, he still competed hard for his team at that point, you know, where I think a lot of guys might've, they might've had the money, they might've had the fame and they're just sort of putting in time to keep getting that, that paycheck. But he treated me the same way he treated anyone else, and he, he competed hard for his team. And I thought with everything he's accomplished as a pro, for him to come into the situation and do that was pretty stand-up. So I always have a lot of time for, for nudes. And you talked a little bit about your experience coming up to Indy and getting an opportunity at, at a higher level. How important is it for you as a coach, and how good does it make you feel to see guys from your team get an opportunity at the next level or to see ECHL guys come up to Stockton and to perform and stick. Yeah, I think that's gets, they're two different animals. The one, the guys going from the AHL up to the NHL for the first time, that's really exciting. And uh, you're always, you know, there's nothing better than telling a guy that he's going to get a call up or he's, he's heading on a plane this afternoon to, to sort of go and fulfill his dream. So you take a lot of pride in that. And it's very, it's uh, very fulfilling and really exciting. But as you mentioned, for me coming from where I came from, I can really relate to the, to the ECHL player that comes in and is all of a sudden in a new atmosphere. Cause some, you know, sometimes it's our affiliate, but sometimes it's someone who's an independent player and, we're bringing them in because we've heard good things. And, um, uh, you know, w what you see sometimes is guys that are, they're so eager 
And so it's really exciting to see them come in and get off on the right foot. We had Rob Hamilton come in this year from Manchester and we were in Colorado and uh, we're, we needed some help on D and here he comes in. And by the end of the first game, he's playing steady shift and he's all of a sudden we're comfortable to put him out in overtime. And then he goes and scores the overtime winner in his first, or may, maybe it was his second game in the uh, AHL. So it was pretty, that was something I thought that was pretty fun because I can remember being in those shoes so many times where you're called up and you're, you'd like nothing more than to make a good impression. So to see someone be able to accomplish that within our atmosphere is pretty fun. And you're obviously as well, like your players, one step away from the National Hockey League. We've seen a lot of coaches have success in the AHL and move up uh, like uh, Jared Bednar and Bruce Cassidy and Jeff Blaschel and a number of other guys as well. Do you look at that and say that is the next potential step that you're knocking on the door potentially of having the opportunity to coach in the National Hockey League? Yeah, well, you, see, you certainly are cognizant of it, but at the same time understand that as soon as you get ahead of yourself at this in this game, then you're going to be in trouble. And for myself, my my path and where I'm at this year and everything, I look at it as I want to just make sure I'm – I'm the best I can be at this level. And I think I have a ways to go in that. So I think that uh, although it's pretty, you know, that's an exciting thought. I think that I have to make sure I get much better at this level. And then if the opportunity arises someday down the road, how exciting would that be? Because I I know it's certainly, it's certainly fun to turn on the TV last night and have, you know, a double header of Bruce Cassidy and the Bruins followed by Jared Bednar in Colorado. That's that's pretty neat to be able to watch your friends coach at that level. Anything else you'd like to share with our fans here in Indy? Uh, I think that, you know, I was just thinking back on, on my time there, and I certainly, it was short, but sweet, really sweet. And I so I just wish the organization all the best there. And I felt really embraced during the time that I was there in Indianapolis. And, our, you know, it was a it was a short run, but it was certainly a great time uh, in the playoffs. And so, just sort of wanted to pass around the best of luck to the organization and the players. And uh, it's the beginning of a long summer for all of us, but uh, all the future success. Well, thanks a lot, Kale. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the opportunity. That's. Stockton Heat head coach Cale McLean, former Indianapolis Ice player, on this week's edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. And that's our chat with Cale McLean, the first-year head coach of the Stockton Heat of the American Hockey League. He had coached in the ECHL prior to that with the Adirondack Thunder the past couple of seasons and played here in the Circle City for the Indianapolis Ice in 1998-99. His teammate on that team, Mike Vellucci, has the Charlotte Checkers in the AHL's Eastern Conference Final, they will begin Friday at home against the Toronto Marlies. The Western Conference, still in the semifinals. The Chicago Wolves lead the Iowa Wild three games to two, and the San Diego Goals lead the Bakersfield Condors three games to two as well. Those series will wrap up this week. In the ECHL, we're on to the conference finals. The Toledo Walleye have a two games to none lead over the Tulsa Oilers in the Western Conference Final. Toledo winning game one, six to two, and then winning game two, four to one. In the Eastern Conference, Newfoundland won two games in Florida 
and the Growlers in their first year in the ECHL lead the defending Eastern Conference champion Florida Everblades two games to none, winning game one, two to nothing, and game two, five to one. Those series continue this week. The Florida Newfoundland series heads up north to St. John's Newfoundland. They'll play Wednesday, Friday, and if necessary, Saturday in St. John's. And then the final two games, if necessary, will head back to Florida. The Toledo-Tulsa series has a little bit of an odd split. Tulsa has home ice advantage, but they played the first two games in Toledo due to building availability. The next three games will be in Tulsa on Wednesday and Friday, and if necessary, Saturday. It'll head back to Toledo for Game 6 if necessary, and Game 7 would be played in Tulsa on May 22nd. And, of course, the National Hockey League, we're on to the conference finals. Boston leads Carolina two games to none. San Jose leads St. Louis one game to none. That'll do it for this week's edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Had a great chat with Cale McLean of the Stockton Heat Make sure you join us for the next edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Our planned guest is Greg Powers, the head coach of the hockey team at Arizona State University. He is an Indianapolis native and has built the Arizona State program from entering varsity status to being an NCAA tournament team all in four years or one graduating class. It's really impressive. And so we'll have a chance to talk a little college hockey next week with somebody who grew up in the Indianapolis hockey scene of the youth hockey program. Of course, Indy Fuel season tickets are on sale right now. You can call 317-925-FUEL or visit IndyFuelHockey.com to find out how you can secure your seat for all 36 home games at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum next year. And so we await the news of the next head coach of the Fuel, We'll also keep our eye on player signings that may be coming down the pipe as well, both on the Fuel side as well as on the American Hockey League side with the Rockford Icehawks. I want to thank you for joining us. Tune in next time as we go Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.